Welcome, everyone. It's a good day to be in God's Word. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is presented by the International Disciple Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. Let me encourage you to learn more about the amazing work that we're doing around the world. You can do that by going to traincpe.org. And to learn about our missions fellowship in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Today, we continue a study in 2 Kings chapters 6 and 7. It's the story of a great famine in Israel that is exacerbated by a Syrian siege. Elisha has given a message to the king of Israel. This is a judgment from God. Repent, and he will deliver you. But the king does not recognize that the situation is truly God's judgment, and as such, he does not offer a realized repentance that God will answer. Get this, please. The only way out of chronic failure and famine in your life is to recognize God's judgment is on you and then repent of those sins that have induced that judgment. I'm not suggesting, by the way, that every negative situation in your life is a judgment from God. I am suggesting that you have to investigate the possibility. And you can't run from accounting for your own contributions to your situations, particularly when there is known and unconfessed sin in your life. And you also have to be discerning and evaluating what's happening in your land and your society on the same basis if you're going to know how to really intercede for people. You can't, for example, keep making excuses for that family member you love that just keeps over and over and over again pouring their lives into complication without recognizing at some point in time they're under God's judgment. There's sin here that needs to be dealt with and repented. Here's the second point. The second one is realizing repentance. Once you recognize that God's judgment has come upon you, you can repent. It's only when you come to terms that the trial and trouble in your life is rooted in your own sin that you can properly turn from it. And here's what repentance isn't very quickly. Repentance isn't a theoretical turning from sin. You don't repent when you say something like, if I did anything wrong to offend you, I'm sorry. Doesn't work. Also, following rituals without recognizing the sin itself and its consequences will not be sufficient. Joram had been told that this was a judgment from God and that he had to repent. And he, to some extent, gives himself to carry out the ritual of repentance. He puts underneath his garments this sackcloth to express his repentance, but it's not real. It's not touching his heart. It's not affecting him. And so the minute that it's challenged and more difficulties come, he brings out his curses against God's man and the very man who told him that he was under God's judgment. And he he wants to destroy the messenger because he resists and he's rebelling against the message that it's him and it's his sin and it's the judgment he's brought upon the people. And so he's feigning a repentance that's not real. He only has on the garments of repentance, but he's not brought a broken heart before God. He blames God's inaction for the problems that he's experiencing instead of his own sins. He blames Elijah's influence, and so he pours out his anger on Elisha. And he sends an assassin to Elijah's house. Listen, days of fasting and prayer and solemn convocations and confessions by the organized church will do no good if there are no specific confessions of sins to be made. Unless there's a certain clear understanding and willingness to break off from that sin, it's all just a superstitious show attempting to improve your situation. It's all just an act to see if you can get a little traction to get moving out of the situation you're in. 
Until your repentance becomes deeply personal and reaches your heart and affects and changes your attitude and your actions. It is not simply a suppression of your bitterness, but a turning away from it. It will be of no use to you to confess. I've actually learned in my life to question any general confession of repentance that a person brings to me or that I might offer up to God. The Spirit of God knows the time and the date of your sins. And when he's at work bringing you to himself and bringing you into repentance, you will know exactly what it is that you are to confess and exactly what it is that you're to turn from. And if you don't know what it is and you're still in the midst of judgment, you better ask God and get into his word. God, what needs to change in my life? Where am I living in opposition to your will? And repent of it and ask God to pour onto you a spirit of repentance. Repentance is not some act where we just try to get traction to get back on our way. It's a complete turnaround in direction from self to God. The prophets warned against those individuals who would turn to God with their lips, but their hearts were left unbroken and unchanged. But when they would come to God and they were ready to speak out their truth and they were ready to declare their sin, they would say something like this, I'm getting what I deserve. I deserve your judgment. But God, if you could be merciful to me. And it struck the heart of God. Jesus tells the story of the tax collector who went to the temple and while everybody else around him was following the protocols of worship, he couldn't even lift his head up to heaven but instead he smote his chest and he cried out, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus said, that man went away justified. We read in Hosea chapter 14, the very words that God would give us to declare as we repent. In Hosea 14, verses one through three, we read words similar to this. I want to read it to you in my translation here. O Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity and take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity Receive us graciously. That's give us what we don't deserve. And we will offer you the sacrifices of our lips. Our lips, in a sense, will claim the sacrifices that you lay out before us. Assyria will not save us. We'll not look to foreign powers to deliver us. We'll not ride on horses. We'll not try to empower ourselves to save us. We will no longer say anymore to the work of our hands that you are our gods. For in you the orphans find mercy. And we're orphans. We're spiritual orphans needing mercy from you. God answers that. So you recognize God's judgment. You then realize repentance. And then the last thing here is you receive deliverance. You receive deliverance. Joram's little statement and question at the end of this indicates a heart that's turning to God for deliverance. He recognizes that this is God's judgment. He says, surely now, after all this, he finally admits, surely this, even after he's uttered this oath and he sent out an assassin, he rushes to stop the assassin's hand and then he says, in the presence of Elisha in the house before all the elders of the city, surely this calamity is from God. This is God's judgment on us. And that's the beginning point of repentance. And then the question is a statement of yielding as well while at the same time asking or begging for a word of hope and mercy, he says, why? Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? What was in it for us? What is it he could do? What he's really saying is this. Can God help us? Can God relent and deliver us? 
The truly repentant person asks this question. Can God forgive me? Can God restore me? Can God make me clean? Is there hope for me? There's no cocksure attitude in repentance that says, just tell me the steps I gotta take so I can move on from this place. What's the bone of confession I can give to God so that he can fix everything for me? No. There's actually doubt in the mind of the one who repents. He's not doubting God. He's doubting himself. He's questioning whether his heart is sufficiently ready to receive the mercy and grace that God would give him. Many times in the scripture, by the way, that God actually cultivates that sense of desperation and that it's impossible for us. You know that? We're so often so willing to rush to people and say, God is ready to forgive you. God is ready to forgive you. And God in the Old Testament oftentimes declares and brings forth this evidence that you're beyond hope. And so God will lay his argument before the people and say, can this be forgiven? Jeremiah starts off with God saying that if a woman has committed adultery and she's divorced from her husband and she marries another man, can she come back to that man? And you know, in the law, you know what the answer is? No, she can't. God will not allow it. There's no place for you. There's no hope for you. There's no return for you. And so when you read the scriptures, oftentimes God will bring people to the point in which they see that their sin is irrevocable and there's no return for them for their sins. They deserve God's judgment and there's no answer for it. But then God speaks up and says something like this. But I'm God and I'm not a man. And I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to heal you. And I'm going to restore you. Jeremiah at one point says, can a leopard change its spots? And the answer is no, unless you're God. If you repent in your turn, I'll do the impossible. I'll receive you. I'll restore you. I'll forgive you. The question of Joram is a question asked by somebody who's softening under the hand of the Spirit of God. Joram sees, in a sense, the insurmountable situation and that he's beyond hope, and yet he's asking for a hint and a message. Can there still be hope? Because this judgment is from God. And Elisha's answer is yes. When you are at that point, God says yes. By tomorrow, this siege is going to come to an end and this famine is going to come to an end and food will be in abundance to such an extent that all that you need can be bought by the lowest price. It's all going to be yours. By the way, here a skeptic speaks up to thrust the king back upon himself and to put his blame back upon God. Here's what we read. So an officer on whose hand the king had leaned answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make the windows in heaven open up, could this thing be? Come on. His cynicism is trying to drive Joram back away from his repentance and the willingness to receive the deliverance that God would give him. Elijah says, in fact, you'll see it with your own eyes, but you're not going to eat it. You have to realize repentance and then receive by faith God's deliverance. The cynic drives himself away from God with his upturned lips and leaves himself alone to face only the judgments of God. The repentant man bows his head and only asks God to rescue, rescue me from your wrath. Rescue me from what I deserve. Have mercy on me. When he does, deliverance, miraculous, powerful, wonderful deliverance is on the way. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we need to be discerning of our day and our moment and our time. 
of the need that is upon our country and the need that is upon so many families and so many homes. We see some, we see so many actually, that we are sowing seeds that we know are going to present wretched, miserable, bitter, stomach-sickening fruit once they swallow all these things down. They're going to bring harm and suffering to their homes and their children and to others. We see, oh God, the fruit of it in our society and our world around us. We have, we've been responsible for those things in our own life. Where we've not yielded to you, where we've lived in the thrush and the rush of our own flesh and its exaltation and pleasure, instead of for you. When you have a church where pastors are falling away in sin on a regular basis, where you have a church where young people are leaving the church and abandoning it, having been grown up and raised in it, but been made idols within their own families instead of you and you only. Where we've lived to to formulate our sermons and messages, to cultivate our own felt needs, to satisfy ourselves. Instead of recognizing that, God, you rescued us so that we would live for your glory and honor, that we would surrender and sacrifice our lives for you and for your sake. We've made you a utility. And you're no longer sweeping things out. Once we recognize that we're under judgment, we can intercede as we ought. Thanks for joining us for this broadcast of the Bread of Life. For a copy of this message, go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.